Abracadabra, Hocus Pocus, Alakazam. What's the first thing those words conjure to your mind? Magic? If so, I nailed it. But which magicians were the first to use those famous but now stereotypical words? Maybe the answer lies in the stops we'll make in this episode, which are magic museums around the world. Let's use one more phrase to start this episode. Open sesame! And voila, away we go. Hello, fellow restless spirit and intrepid explorer. Thanks for joining me for our audio tour of Magic Museums. My name is Courtney Morocco, and I'll be your host and guide for this episode. Before we check out the museums, let's talk a little bit about magic first, which can be categorized into eight different schools. However, there are really only two types of magicians, practitioners and performers. Practitioners are witches, wizards, and sorcerers. They're the spellcasters who attempt to manipulate the natural world to conjure certain outcomes. They claim to have supernatural powers or the ability to harness them. Performers can be practitioners and vice versa, but performers are mostly concerned with the art of illusion and entertainment. They set out to bewitch, beguile, and bewilder audiences with tricks and sleight of hand. For centuries, that's what performers have done, delighted young and old alike, and left them mystified, wondering, how did they do that? Especially because they never reveal their secrets which I think is the magician's greatest trick of all. The mystery, the puzzle, the quest to understand what it is your eyes have seen. Well, there's no better way to captivate an audience and keep them coming back for more, is there? And perhaps the greatest magical showman of all, one who understood the value of keeping audiences guessing, was Harry Houdini. As he once said, the secret of showmanship consists not of what you really do, but what the mystery-loving public thinks you do. He really set the bar that magicians continue to strive to attain to this day. And his legacy endures. There used to be four museums that were dedicated to Houdini, but now there are only two, not including the History Museum at the Castle in Appleton, Wisconsin, which includes an exhibit about the four years Houdini lived in Appleton as a child. But Houdini actually hailed from Hungary. 
So that's the first museum we'll explore. The House of Houdini in Budapest, which is, as they put it, devoted to the greatest magician and escape artist of all time. And it couldn't be located in a more perfect setting. Budapest's mysterious castle district. The museum contains genuine Houdini artifacts, such as his handcuffs and personal artifacts, as well as original props from the movie Houdini starring Adrian Brody. In addition to interactive, immersive displays with mind-blowing visual effects, there's also live magic entertainment. And if you're the selfie-taking type, there's a large safe perfect for posing in. However, entry is not guaranteed even if you pay your admission. You're only granted entry to the magic area if you decode the secret puzzle on your ticket. House of Houdini staff are allowed to help with hints, but if you still don't get it, they will refund your admission fees. There are also a couple of Houdini museums in the U.S., but they're both not exactly open as of the recording of this episode, but we're going to talk about them anyways. We'll start at the Houdini Museum Tour and Magic Show in Scranton, Pennsylvania. According to Visit PA, it touts itself as the only museum dedicated to Harry Houdini in the world, which from what I've seen, is actually probably true. A visit to the Houdini Museum in Scranton includes a tour of the 150-year-old building, as well as an hour-long magic show. However, at the time of this recording, a notice on their website explained that they're temporarily closed for a couple of reasons. One, for renovations, and the second is due to coronavirus. Due to the intimate space and nature of their attraction in this crazy pandemic we're living through, it makes it difficult for them to safely accommodate guests. However, something interesting to note is that the building they're located in is purportedly haunted. When they are open, they often host paranormal events, including a haunted seance. During a seance, did they make contact with Houdini? They held a Zoom event on October 31st, 2020. Houdini died on October 31st, 1926. The seance was conducted by Dorothy Dietrich and Dick Brooks and was touted as history's largest Houdini seance. Maybe one of the longest, too. It lasted over three hours. During the seance, a block fell over at 1.29 p.m. On the website, it says this happened at 1.26 p.m., which would have been significant and tied into, oh, Houdini was making contact at the exact time of his death. Pretty close, but the clock clearly says 1.29, not 1.26 Anyway, on their website, they include a link to YouTube and a 52-second video of the incident. Dorothy and Dick believed it was a sign from Houdini, which it may have been, but given the block's position, 
I'm willing to bet even Houdini would have had fun analyzing the video. The block was set next to and a little bit behind a framed photograph of Houdini, who I believe is posing with both his mother and his beloved wife. The block easily could have been knocked down or it could have been Houdini making contact. I don't know. You can judge for yourself. There's one more Houdini museum worth mentioning, although it's closed definitely at the time of this recording. Houdini Revealed was formerly known as the Houdini Museum of New York. Their website indicates they're in the process of moving to a new secret location in New Jersey. Are they planning to one day reopen and make that location known to the public? I don't know, but if they do, I'll definitely write about it on Haunt Johns. One thing I do know is who Houdini in part took his name from, and that's the man who is often regarded as the father of modern magic, Robert Houdin. Or, as they might say in French, Robert Houdin. Actually, I don't know if that's how they would pronounce it in French. I'm probably butchering it in French and English. Anyway, okay, so bear with me. I have a little bit more French to get through. The House of Magic, or La Maison de la Magie in Blois, France, houses artifacts and tells the tale of the watchmaker-turned-magician, who, according to Totally History's account of most famous magicians, was ahead of his time in the mid-1800s. He used his knowledge of watchmaking and illusions to create interesting tricks that were so convincing he was accused of witchcraft. His most famous illusion was making an orange tree blossom for audiences. But in 1850, he and his son created the ethereal suspension illusion. You know, the one where it appears a body is defying the laws of gravity and is levitating. Yeah, he started that. Which, if you can imagine audiences back in that time, and I'm going to use the word naive because we see a lot of tricks with all the visuals we see on movies and TV, but back then, to see something like that and right in front of your very own eyes, that had to have been truly mind-blowing. It sort of gives you a better idea of why he might have been accused of witchcraft. You don't even have to go into La Maison de la Magie to be wowed by it. Its facade is renowned for its windows and a display of dragon heads that appear every 30 minutes. In addition to enjoying the interactive displays, if you do go inside, though, you can also catch a magic show here. The Musée de la Magie in Paris is another renowned magic museum that explores France's rich history in the art of prestidigitation. Their collection consists of everything from large illusions and automatons to optical illusions, posters, and magic objects, all of which you can learn about during a guided tour. Something I found interesting in their collection was objects that spiritualists used to create ghost effects, like spirited writing and moving tables, to deceive their audiences. 
Other highlights of the museum include the Gallery of Optical Illusions, where you'll encounter interactive phenomenon and animated paintings, and the Alley of Mirrors. You know, the distortion mirrors that in the United States we're more accustomed to seeing in fun houses. Your visit to the Musée de la Magie also includes a magic show. Worth noting while we're exploring magic museums in Europe is the Magicum in Berlin. Its name is a little bit misleading because it's really more focused on the occult, which is an alchemy across different religions and cultures. It is a very interactive place. You get to solve puzzles and there is a magic show that you get to enjoy too. So I'll just mention it here, but we'll look at the Magicum a little bit more closely when we get to the Witch Museums episode. Oh, but one more thing I will say is, did I mention that it's underground in a historic building in the heart of Berlin, which adds to its mystique? Well, now I did, so there. All right, let's uh, wind up this episode and head back to the States. We'll start with the Vent Haven Museum in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, the world's only museum dedicated to ventriloquism. But Courtney, you may be asking, is ventriloquism really considered magic? I'd say yes. As the dummy blog put it, let me read this to you. Ultimately, the ventriloquist is an actor who uses ventriloquism, which is really just magic principles, to create the most stunning, improbable, and mind-blowing illusion of all, creating the illusion of life. The ventriloquist makes people believe there are two living beings on stage when there is only one. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty magical. As of this recording, the Vent Haven Museum is closed for reconstruction. Before it closed, though, you used to have to schedule a tour. Will that be the same when it reopens? I'm not sure, but here's what you can expect to see in their collection if you go. Over 900 dummies used in the 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries. They also have a lot of other artifacts like puppets, recordings, photographs, posters, playbills, and more. When I wrote about them on Haunt Johnson 2019, they had an Adopt-A-Dummy fundraising campaign program that I thought was pretty clever. But I didn't see that on their website anymore when I went to go refresh my memory about them in preparation for this episode. I did see they are still doing their Vent Haven International Ventriloquist Convention, though. Which for some people might be too creepy, especially if you don't like dummies. That would be an awful lot all in one place. All right, we're here. Our last Magic Museum stop of the episode. It brings us to the American Museum of Magic in Marshall, Michigan. They boast the largest collection of magic artifacts on display in the U.S. Because of the contributions from magicians around the world, illusionist Jim Steinmeier declared the American Museum of Magic the Smithsonian of Magic Museums. 
the museum was founded by journalist Robert Lund and his wife Elaine. It contains everything from illusions and apparatus to posters, books, photographs, and more. In the winter, December through March, they're open by appointment only. April through November, they're closed Monday and Tuesday, but open the other days of the week. As with most of the museums I talked about in this episode, there are photos on their website that give you a virtual peek inside. One thing that I think was common to all of the museums was that whether they displayed them as part of the photos on their site or just mentioned that posters were part of their exhibits, they all did have posters. It brought to mind one more place here in Nashville that I'll talk about just very briefly. It's not really a magic museum, though. It touts itself as a magic-themed dining concept which it is. However, displayed within the dining area are posters from magic shows, as well as framed playing cards that date back to the 1700s. Well, I think even farther than that, maybe as far back as the 1400s or farther, 1200s. I know they had a very, very, very old playing card, which was really interesting to see. And our our, um, server told us exactly where to go find it. Anyways, that sort of creates a museum-like atmosphere while you're eating, sort of. There's a whole mystery magic. They come around and do magic at your, well, not at your table. I think they have stations, or when we went, it's been a while, but they had stations where you could go and, you know, while you're waiting for your drinks or your appetizer or your main course, you could get up and wander, watch the, the mini magic shows, and then they have a theater where you can go enjoy a magic show afterwards. So if you're ever in Nashville and you enjoy magic, I definitely recommend House of Cards. Voila, that wraps up the Magic Museums episode. Thank you so much for sailing the airwaves with me. Again, my name is Courtney Marock, and it's been my pleasure to be your host and guide for this episode. Next time, we're going to explore Oddities Museums, So bizarre, so bizarre. The best way to make sure you don't miss it or any other episodes is to subscribe if you haven't already. And you can always jaunt with me online anytime at hauntjaunts.net. Until our paths cross again, ciao for now. 